0: Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles. I'm the Managing Director of B Squared and the host of the Sendcast, the Special Needs Podcast. Each week we talk about a different topic within the world of special and educational needs, to improve our knowledge, to provide support to professionals working in schools and to empower parents. In this episode we're discussing neurodiversity. Should everyone fit in the same mould, or is it okay to stand out from the crowd? Our guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan has been a head teacher, lecturer at Leicester University, and now works as a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems. Before we get started, have you heard of the virtual SEND conference? This is a conference we started running in 2019 that makes CPD around SEND more affordable and easy to access. It runs twice a year over the internet, but you can watch videos whenever you need to as they are always available on demand. For more information, visit www.virtualsendconference.com. At the end of the episode, I'll be giving you a discount code so you can save some money when you purchase Access. Now on with the podcast. This week's show is all about neurodiversity. What does it mean? Is it a positive term or is it a negative term? Our guest is Fintan O'Regan. Fintan is a trainer and consultant for schools and school support systems, including social services, health, the police and foster carers. He supports them by providing behavioural management strategies for children and families struggling with SEND and behaviour issues. Before this, he's worked for a number of organisations, including NASEN, INTO Education, Leicester University, the UDK ADHD Network, the European ADHD Alliance. And for all of this, he was a head teacher, a specialist school of students with ADHD, ASD and ODD. And I've almost run out of acronyms to use. Welcome to the show, Fintan. Well, thank you for inviting me, Dale. The new term neurodiversity has been around for about 30 years. Some people understand what neurodiversity means and how it can affect people. Others think it's an excuse or simply can't comprehend that the people see the world very differently.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a term uh, Judy Singer is accredited at being sort of coming up with in the 1990s. And it was an attempt really to, to a certain extent, take a whole series of terms or and terms such as ADHD, ASD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, and and these terms having a lot of them deficit in their title. And as so many of them, overlap anyway you know if you draw a venn diagram generally most individuals would fit somewhere in the middle it was it was a it was an attempt to sort of talk about differences versus deficits and to put a more positive slant if you like on on the fact that people had different learning and behavioral styles
0: okay so i think i think autism is one of the ones everyone's familiar with that's kind of a big everyone knows that as a spectrum so and it is it is that it's a collection of things sure, people struggle with and people have thought about it as a linear scale, but it's a much more complicated thing because they might be really good here, struggling here, strength over here. And, and it is, it is a difference.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think the, um, it's one of the things I've tried to sort of, you sort of have things that you pick up over the years. And, and one of the things I've always been quite, I'm, I'm generally flexible on most issues, but when I work with teachers or parents, I've. I've I don't correct them very often, but I've always tried to sort of make the point that there's no such thing as dyslexic children, or ADHD children, or ASD children. They're not a tribe, you know. It doesn't work the way they're children or people with traits that we describe as being dyslexia or, or ASD. So I think you know that's something I've I feel quite passionate about, where I think um, we you know we we don't buttonhole people and pigeonhole them because then we if we know a little bit about the term we tend expect people to all behave in a similar way so for example you know everyone that has asd you know they're all serious and they are all like working on a laptop and you know they 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 can't make jokes and and they don't you know they've got they've got no literal you know they take everything literally well that's not the case a lot of people might have some of those traits but others do not so i think it's important for us to understand that you know labels should not be limiting and they shouldn't they should only be used if you like to help us understand some of the differences in people
0: and some of the people listening may sit there and go i have no problem being called an autistic adult but that's a personal choice for me i don't see her go this is uh this is autism she has a body and her name is claire it's here is a person her name's claire the first thing I say about them is not they're, they have autism. That's It's part of them, but it's not their defining feature. It might be there, but it shouldn't be the bit you lead with. And that's the thing. I think when you start saying, oh, this is my autistic friend, Dave, you're sort of, you now just set up a whole, he will go, oh, oh, he's got, it should be, this is Dave.
1: Very much so, or else Dave starts being categorized as, you know, as writing down the names of all the trains that go past his house every single day. And he and he he knows all the, the timetables for, for Network Southwest, which no one completely will ever understand because they never work on time anyway. But the point is that, you know, you start pigeonholing people. And like I said, you know, ASD, a lot of people who aren't aware what the term really means say, oh, it's, oh yeah, it's Dustin Hoffman, the Rain Man. I, I know what ASD is. And of course... You know, that's why it's very limiting as a term.
0: To me, I think anything only thing ASD tells me is they're different in some way. That's as much as I know about them now.
1: Yeah, and I think, like I say, you know, it, there are certain characteristics that would be more common, if you like, to someone who was under that sort of spectrum. And, you know, tend to be quite black and white, don't do the grey, tend to be quite, you know, like what they like, not that literal. But that doesn't justify that fact you've got individuals who are enormously, you know, adaptive to within within those traits. And there is a little bit of an argument, though, and I think we have to find a balance here because I know that some people, particularly, there's lots of other areas we could mention under neurodiversity, ASD, dyslexia, we've mentioned some already, but there is um, also a, a body of people who are in the ASD fraternity, if you like, who are very suspicious and are a little bit, anti the term neurodiversity, to, to, to be honest, because they, they see it as, as diluting, if you like, the understanding and therefore possibly of, of their traits and therefore possibly diluting the amount of support and understanding that someone with those differences may have. So, as I said, it, it's not a term that everybody who embraces
0: to me, I think I think everyone in reality is neurodiverse. Some people, for some reason, like Manchester United. <laughs> they don't live there, but they like Manchester. Others like Liverpool. Some like Chelsea, and mm. it's There's so many things that go on in your life in your world that affect you that will make every person see the world differently. Mm. So we're all kind of diverse, and some can. But yeah, some people do. It's, it's, there is a bigger change. And I think the very typical one that we always use is the reading and the comprehension. That's a very typical one reading up here, the mm. comprehension down there. That's a very typical one people use for autism. Mm. But I suppose each of the different neurodiverse ADHD, they all have their own traits.
1: Yeah, very much so. And that's why I, I I'm sort of interested in the term because. I've been moving very much away from labels and talking much more about traits. It's about it's about supporting the traits, not supporting the label, supporting the traits. Now, some of those labels highlight the traits, and I think it's about taking some of those. But I think when it comes to supporting individual, you know, how do we support the traits of the fact that he's very inflexible? How do we therefore you know support the traits that he sometimes is is has got real concentration difficulties how do we support the traits of having you know poor short term memory i think that for me is is where we should be going and and looking at supporting those traits as opposed to the labels but like i say i you know some parents in particular might be worried about what they see as a as a, as a term therefore maybe maybe being used to deny them access to uh, an educational healthcare plan or or to other services or, or to other options that they may get by having a label. Our system is somewhat label-orientated right now. And for some people as well, who are trying to understand, if you like, different people, the label might might help them be clearer too. So it it's not something that works for everybody. But I think if we go with the, with the view, as you said, that we're all on a spectrum of some type then i think it's a more healthy way of us progressing the future but i think the language we use to describe differences and the systems we have and the policies that we have to support them will all have to to a certain extent come into line
0: there was a really interesting cartoon i came across a couple of years ago by a lady called rebecca burgess who's a drew out a cartoon and it's called Explaining the Spectrum or something. If you just say Re- Rebecca Burgess Autism, search for that mm-hmm. on Google, you'll find it. And it sort of getting people away from thinking that autism is a spectrum going from not very autistic to very autistic. And I gave a couple of examples when they looked at somebody, oh, they're doing all right here, they're not very autistic, I put them in, and then that child couldn't cope oh, you're very autistic and then wrap them in cotton and they weren't allowed to do anything. Mm. And yeah. actually now every person with autism has their own unique profile, what their strength. And it, it's as even when you might have autism, the person next to you might also have autism, you might have nothing in common.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we, and, and you know, go back to this issue about us judging people who are different and, and saying that certain people are rude or selfish or, and we've done this, for, you know, we've all done this. I mean, I used to be a football coach and um, we used to have a parent that turned up. I won't say his name, but he was a surgeon. He, you know, he was a top surgeon and the kids were all around 11 under 12s. We were putting up the football nets on a Saturday morning with those goals. You got to like put together the plastic posts and the other parents were always, you know, in and they're always helping to do that. And and this guy used to stand on the touchline just by himself all the time. He stand most of the game by himself actually. And uh, the other parents were a little bit, you know, disingenuous. They were like, "Oh, he thinks he's he's too good for us. He doesn't want really to get his shoes dirty, or he doesn't he doesn't want to help. He just wants to pick up his son, take away his son." And one day, I went up to him, but I won't use his name. I'll I'll call him um, I'm calling Tom, and I said, "Tom, do you want to help us put up the football nets?" And he went, "Sure." See, no one had asked him, Dale. No one had asked him to do it. He didn't know, therefore, whether he should or shouldn't do it because he hadn't. You know, no, he didn't necessarily. He wasn't necessarily being rude, or he was being, in his sense, he hadn't been invited to do it. And you know, and he was regarded by the other parents as being—he was obviously a surgeon. They thought he was too good to put up the next. You know, people have traits, and it's understanding those traits and 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 not judging them, and and maybe better understanding their style, so we can therefore be a little bit like with a child who who wouldn't necessarily volunteer unless he was asked to volunteer I, I know a school quick an anecdote took the lad recently with asd traits into a school he'd been excluded from one we're in the science lab i used to be a science teacher and the teacher was very welcoming he said to daniel he said he's 12 year old he said daniel do you like science daniel said yes he said what do you like about science and, and daniel said well i like doing practicals i could do this that and the other and the teacher was was really getting good connection with oh he said you know what you know he liked like doing he said daniel said he was thinking about the sort of like acids alkalines flames said daniel he said what would be dangerous in a science lab and daniel st- sort of for a minute thought about it and said a motorbike and the teacher just looked amazed at this question because it had no relation with what he was expecting but it was just so open-ended that and he looked at me, teacher, Daniel looked at me as if what well, isn't he He asked me a question, I've answered it. And it was a simple just a misinterpretation of not understanding that you'd need a much more specific question than a very open question like that. So, you know, if understanding traits can prevent those situations from occurring and people can judge people in different ways, then I think it's all to the all to the good.
0: I think you think when you when you spend time with someone who sees the world differently so I'm um, my nephew's got autism he's been a school refuser or not been at school for two years and I was involved in the HCP process and it was like, I said oh, so how, how do you feel about school and he literally got his timetable out went through all the lessons then put it away I went no what about school and he looked at me so I went I've answered your question I've told you how I think about every subject so I was like what about break time and he was like and he, 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 he it's a constant and I was like if we, if I was to knock down your school and build a brand new school next to it, what would make it better? If you didn't build it? <laughs> he couldn't get that concept of if, no. if we didn't do this, if we did mm. that, that was lost on. He couldn't get it.
1: Well, without sort of saying there was any one, to, you know, it's just that, that abstraction, that kind of metaphor, that kind of what if, what might. You know, brains, generally speaking, are somewhat wired towards speculation of things. But the, the brain of someone who has that more specific way of looking at things is, doesn't necessarily do that, but they can do lots of other things which are really beneficial in terms of following things through. And, you know, and it's, it's no surprise that some people with, you know, who have these traits have been very successful entrepreneurs in the future and everything else because they don't see the downside. There is no failure. It will not happen. I've got a plan. I'm going to follow it through. And all the issues that someone might be concerned about, or I can't do this because this might not, doesn't always occur to them because they're forging through. It's not to say that everyone is successful, but if you take an example of, you know, someone who maybe had some differences, I mean, look at Mark Zuckerberg, you know, for example, there's a chap who who found it difficult to speak to girls Therefore decided to find a system by which he could communicate with girls, and he's done rather well actually in his overall career would you not say
0: ever so slightly yeah. ever so slightly and I think it comes back to when you think about neurodiversity and then as we previously mentioned on the podcast, school is about conforming and that's those two don't go too well together and that's part of the problem is In school, you're expected to conform. Once you reach 18, once you're out of that school environment, you can do what you want, and that neurodiversity can flourish. You can do what you want. You can work out how what are your strengths, how can you use that to your advantage. But it's in that school situation where you're trying to conform, that's when I think a lot of the frustrations come out, and that's where it can be negative because you're trying to conform and the teacher's trying to teach you in a certain way, and the school behaviour policy has to be met by all pupils. That's when it starts getting. It's. It's. That's where the struggles are.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very true, uh, and it's uh, it, Ken Robinson who um, did a talk on this some years ago. It's called Changing the Paradigm. It's a. It's a TED talk now and everything else, and he talks about how schools are very much run along factory lines. You know, in terms of there's a there's. And he basically says it's all about compliance. Schools are about compliance. People doing things in the same way. You've got a group of people, 30 kids, have to do things. you only got one person at the front these days or whatever. Who has to? Do. So therefore, that's how they run. But he's basically saying what industry and what business needs is innovation. They need creativity. They need people who think differently, who be, who are problem solving, who can think laterally, who can work a different way. Who can be over, you know, uh, hyper-focused on certain things that don't get distracted by other elements, and, and can work through the night type thing, and 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 I think that's where we need to find some bridge, if you like, between schools acknowledging innovation in how people learn, and also but but getting them to, to pass the exams so they can bear fruits to their to their to their to their abilities.
0: Yeah, I think especially with the current COVID situation is. The entire world for companies has changed over the last six months. So you don't want someone to go, oh, let's just keep doing this. Let's follow what we You actually want someone to go, we need to do something differently. When you think out of the box, this is what we need to do. So you need that those creative thinkers.
1: I mean, I think you tend to find that people who are looking now at some um, employees for the future, obviously, they, you know, you, you want people to have the basic skills, you want people to turn up to work although these days they don't necessarily have to turn up to work they can work very much from home as we know but you're looking for someone who's got a spark someone who's got a difference someone who can who can do things and see things that other people can't and what we do know and you know if we take you know we know that people who have dyslexia and ADHD it's almost it seems to me as if if sort of like you know 5 out of 10 or 6 out of 10 was was sort of like the basic skills you need to have in reading and writing and you had those, that was going to get you to a certain point, but maybe children and people who have dyslexia, maybe they might only have like three out of 10 in that kind of same sort of level of gifts, but they might have an eight or a nine when it comes to creativity. doesn't mean they've got less points. It means their points are just more evenly spread. And so what we need to do is obviously be bringing them up so they can have the opportunity of, of harnessing those other points they have in different levels. So They've all got, they've got the same number, but it's just kind of distributed in a different level
0: So I think we um, one of the first podcasts I did was with Aaron Smith mm, yeah, yeah so uh, yeah. Aaron is I didn't know much about dyslexia is I knew what you know when you grew up at school is they struggle mm. to read all that you, I just heard of the difficulties mm. but as I talked to Aaron who's um, I think he calls himself severely dyslexic, mm. is he then started saying because he's running a dyslexia show and he says, actually I can visualize it so well. And so although he can't do this thing, he's got other things. And he actually loves reading. I was like, so you're dyslexic and you love reading. That makes no sense. But it's it's the accessing the words on the page. But it's, it's, He listens to it. So he's adapted how he works to suit him.
1: And and you can do that, you know. I mean, as an adult, I think you, um, if you have an issue with reading and spelling, for example, in a, in a job, and I have a daughter who's quite severe dyslexic, and there's a couple of things. Number one, she, there's another issue and a question here about acknowledging that to her employer and whether you should and whether you shouldn't. But what she does is to compensate for that. She uses spell check and she 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 buys Grammarly because Grammarly helps. Her do. So you've got those adaptations as an adult. You have them to a certain extent as a child too, but you need to be led that way, I think. And she's been led into actually using these these resources because she's had a diagnosis. She understands herself more. It's not a, she's a self-esteem issue. It didn't raise it overnight, but it got her to understand why she wasn't able to do things the way that other people were able to do. And so she found adaptations and ways of, of, of supporting herself and 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 to get through the system. So I think it's um and Aaron wouldn't mind. I know Aaron too very well. And and for Aaron he he's a very nothing is impossible for Aaron. He no. just doesn't see he doesn't if, if there's like I mean just particularly on this particular show, for example, it's been cancelled two or three times. Yep. Just for this example, but I mean, no problem, we'll just sort it out another time. It's not a it's not a woe is me. It's not a sort of um, you know, oh, oh what's going to happen. It's like, right, we can't do it that date, we'll do it another date. Yep. We'll do it another day and we'll, or we'll do it this way or will do it that way. There's never been, there's not a negative bone in his body. No. And that's not to say that, you know, that's always going to be a positive thing, but in this particular direct area he's going towards, being half empty, so to speak, about something would not be helpful. No. He has to be half full in order to do what he's going to do. It's a benefit.
0: I think a lot of people would love to get rid of all that anxiety and I'm not saying he doesn't, but in this situation, he can visualize it. He plans it. He gets on with it. And he's very dedicated and he does so much work. And there are lots of people where, and it'd be interesting to find out if you almost had a button where you could push a button and you saw a label over each person you mm-hmm. sit there and go, ah, that's what Fin. that explains Fintan slightly more. That explains, and it'd be great because you sit there and go, mm-hmm. oh, hang on. Everyone has a label.
1: I know when I do my my live training courses, when we we talk about some of the terms that we've talked about today, and we haven't even got to some of the other ones, the ODD and PDA and CD and and whatever, I know that my delegates are thinking about the people on their streets, Dale. They're already analysing two or three neighbours. They've analysed them in very different ways (laughs) than they did before. And and it might be an explanation for some of them about why he or she acts the, the way that they do.
0: It is, you, you do sit there and you start to see, and one of the things you sit there and go, unpick mental health, all it comes back to is you sit there and go, anything who isn't fitting in his perfect normal bubble, is kind of his mental health or is diverse, you won't have to, and you sit there and go, so actually he isn't a horrible person. Mm. It's, he can't help it. It's because of this. Mm. Oh, so reality. you shouldn't
1: not like anyone because it's not really there. And you just sit there and go, you, you you do and I think I mean I always tell a story about you know if you get to a door and you get there and someone else is there before you most of the time you you will basically say you say you're a gentleman and it's a lady at the door or on the underground or whatever going to the door you, you generally would let the you know being polite let the person go ahead of you but the reason you kind of do that is because you're looking for a response, you're looking for a thank you or a, or a smile or someone to give you something back. But if you've got ASD, you get to the door in the same time as someone else. You you kind of want to go through the door, and because you're not looking for the feedback, the smile, you're not because your folks go through the door. So, but someone would perceive you as being selfish or unfriendly and things like that. And it's not so much that you know you, you and you you'd need someone to teach you that in a, a social situation it might be more beneficial to do that anyway. But if you're not We are, generally speaking, looking for what our actions do. We're looking for a reaction. We're looking to get something back. If you're not looking for that reaction, your actions will be regarded by other people differently, if you see what I mean.
0: But then at the same time, the fact you're looking for that reaction isn't making it selfless.
1: No. No. No, it's not. You
0: want to give me thank you.
1: We are all intrinsically looking for feedback. We, you know, the selfish gene talks about we are all intrinsically, you almost have to be to evolutionary survives. If you're unselfish, someone else takes your spot. It's not a very nice way of thinking about it. And there are obviously examples of people who do do that massively. But generally speaking, yes, we are looking for something back, you know, so... But someone with ASD gets to the door. This is why I say the teachers: if you have got someone who pushes out of the room, you you know he's pushing up because he wants to get out the door. You've got to structure how he leaves the room so he doesn't leave with everyone else, but he might push him out of the way. He needs to go out number two, number three, number four, number five. By doing that, you reduce the 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 risk, if you like, of him barging because his focus is to get out the door, you yeah. know, and and that's all on his mind. That he's not looking for someone to say thank you or, or, or smile at you for letting them go first. It, it, so, you know, it isn't always, those things don't always explain behaviors. There are some people, I think, who are more egocentric than others. But even that word, why are they more egocentric? Is because they talk about themselves because they don't know how to ask questions of other people. Or is it they, they actually aren't that interested <laughs> in, in the other person? And they don't think the other person would be interested in them asking or they think that a person would be more interesting in what they're interested in. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, and, and we obviously, those social skills we have, I mean, you have a daughter, right? You tell yep. me, did you have a first birthday party? for Yes. Her? Why did you have a first birthday party for her?
0: Because I wanted everyone to celebrate my daughter.
1: Exactly. Because you, <laughs> I, the reason why I'm saying that is I watched the first birthday party for my daughter and essentially, she, there was no acknowledgement of the other children in the room. She walked over them to get to her mother or to the food. It's a complete excuse to get presents and, and have Prosecco. There's no social awareness of the other children in the room because they're all egocentric. But by the time they get to two on three and four and five, they're learning to share and they're learning to sort of like work in groups but children or people who have neurodiversity in terms of some of those social issues developmentally, there's a lag. So they're not going to understand it at the same stage as the age of which they're being judged. This is why I say it's important to make that distinction and to know what developmental means, because then you, you're you completely right. Your behavior policies will need to be more flexible to, to accommodate that, that neurodiversity. In fact, the word I would use for it is a term which um, i come up with. It's called neuroflexibility. We need neuroflexibility for neurodiversity.
0: I think some of the stuff where we talk about holding a door open or saying, Finton, how was your holiday? Yeah. is You sit there and go, almost like someone says to him, look, all you're trying to do is you want to get him to talk. Yeah, you're not interested. No, but it makes him like you more. Why? Because you're interested in him. What? But almost like, you learn from watching others do it. Yeah. So you don't know, you just copy others. That's how most people do. And that person might not be going, well, not interested, so I don't need to say that. But then when they do it a few times, they sit there and going, oh, that's person now interested in me. Ah, oh. so sometimes you, it's you, just seeing the
1: reasons. It is. It, it, and it, and as I say, a one-year-old is is essentially, developmentally, they're not aware to really acknowledge other people in the room, and but but they will will get there. But, I think it's some, I'll tell you where neurodiversity really, I think, works very well. And, and one of the areas that you know I'm, I'm particularly passionate about is prevention of bullying. And, yeah. and, 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 and children with neurodiversity traits will often be judged by peers as being, well, they often are different because they won't know the social nuances. They won't recognize the sort of like the, the, the rules and regulations of how you get on with people. And because of that, they can be picked on, although, as I said, they can be passive targets or they can be provocative targets. They can be annoying and irritating too. ADHD, for example, they butt into conversations. They don't wait their turn. And people get annoyed and irritated by that. So I think the other kids don't – they know they're different, but they don't know why. And I think there's a big gap in the market there, whereas we train our teachers and, – and 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 there's also another gap, by the way, which is the parents. I'll come to those in a minute – but the thing is, we we train our teachers hopefully to understand different traits. We don't get the other the other kids to. And what I found is, when I'm going into schools, I now work a lot of time where I do uh, sessions for the, the children to understand. And I talk about neurodiversity, so they can understand why Charlie does shout out in class and why Jim doesn't does always not give my contact. And the thing is, with the students themselves, they are so much more open to a the word diversity. Because diversity has become very much something that is their generation is very aware about in terms of all the movements out there. And then you talk about the brain, and I'm an old science teacher. I love the opportunity to get my science books out and things, and I talk a little bit about how the brain works and stuff. And they connect the two things together very, very easily. So the brain, so if people are different, okay, we know he's different. Why it's different? Because his brain's not working the same way. And I have found that that particular, you know, cohort of individuals, the children, both the sort of like the younger and the older, you've got to pitch it differently, they, they're much more open-minded because they know the terms, the labels, they don't know what they mean, but, they, but they're but they all up for new diversity. And when you explain it in a brain-functioning type of way, the science teacher likes it anyway as well, by the way, then, you know, it does help, I think, to help them to understand their colleagues.
0: I think with my um, my eldest in her class in primary, there was a boy, ASD, and he used to have he used to clear the classroom. Various things used to go on, and you sit there and just say to a house school session, "Oh yeah, yeah, oh no, oh it's just the way he is," and so accepting. But she didn't know why, and that's the thing is sometimes having that sort of guidance, not saying, "This boy has this," but sitting there going. We all see the world differently. We're all this, and some people like this. That would just help her understand maybe a bit more why.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have a, You're absolutely right, and it's not about pigeon. You know, talking about labels. But and I have a um, a couple of games that I play. One's called this a thing called the Stroop Test, where you may have seen it. The color and the the color and the the word are the same on the first round. So red is red on the second round. You know, red is actually the the term red is actually you know, green. And I say to people, I want you to tell me what the color is, not what the word says. And they go down this list and they all fall by the wayside as you go down the list. And you just show to them that they learn differently. Some of them can do it all the way. Some of them can do it half the way. Some of them go off the first line. And they find it funny, but also it resonates with them that they are all different. And because of that, and you talk about how your brain works. So, like I say, the the term neuroreflect, the term neurodiversity, we're talking about today. There, there are some, there are some um, real advantages of of using that word to describe learning differences. But as we've said before, there are some challenges as well with our system regarding, you know, working with it, if you like, as opposed to you know the the existing ways in which we look at some of these differences.
0: So, so far we've discussed, we've mentioned ADHD, we've got ASD and dyslexia, but you also mentioned a few others.
1: I mean, there's a lot of terms out there. I would say there's an A to Z of S C S out there. It's a lot of terms out there. I think I've kind of mentioned those three because those would be the, I don't know, I wouldn't say that, I don't even want to make this point because some people will write in and say, well, you didn't mention dyspraxia or you didn't mention dyscalculia or you didn't mention something else. But those would be the ones I suppose we accommodate the most under this umbrella. They would, they would just be the bigger three that I can consider right now. But if we don't go this route, I can tell you the danger is like, for example, I said about an A to Z of SCN and there's... There's about nine under A. I haven't got to the Bs yet. So you can you can, you can can carry on, you know, and there's bipolar and there's oppositional defiant disorder. I mean, we are already with ASD. Let's take ASD, for example. We know it's a spectrum condition. Yes, we've started to call it autistic spectrum, but what's been spinning off there for years has been variants of sagmatic pragmatic disorder, and some people are very wedded to that label. Obsessive-compulsive disorder, you could ask, OCD. We use it in daily conversation, OCD. So we're all talking about this now. We're not realizing that that is a a variant of the ASD. So we're already splintering ASD, which itself is quite complex. We're splintering it off into other terms and other labels. And don't get me started on ADHD because of all the three variants on that. And that's why I say so it can become confusing and and, and over-confusing. So I think if we work to a more neurodiverse sort of model and talked about traits as opposed to labels, I just think it actually might be clearer for people And you know, in order to understand those differences and work with them.
0: But rather than saying I'm 60% ASD, 33% ODD, <laughs> 12% this, and anyone for OCD can probably fill in the other bit of my...
1: Yeah, I think you'd be, and just to make that point, if people didn't, because sometimes people, we, we I did skit over some of the terms. Uh, ODD is oppositional defiant disorder. It's uh, something that I know that um, we've worked on previously yeah. and something else. But.
0: So I think that A to Z you've got
1: of your terms mm-hmm. is depending where you are in
0: the country, depending how many are in that book, yeah. that's the other yeah. one because I know... Um, Certain authorities don't recognize anything with DYS at the beginning.
1: That, that is very true. And as you say, there's a real discrepancy across the country in that and certainly internationally as well. But yeah, you're right. I mean, certain authorities will refuse to, to recognize certain terms which are well established and, and most people would recognize. So, you know, that's for different reasons. Um, and, you know, I, I, we don't want to get into that right now. But would, you know, I would
0: hazard a guess is generally one reason, and that would, one is money.
1: I would think that might have something to do with it, because yes, if you recognise something, then you have to resource it, and you know, so there's generally a, you know, a, a, an issue on that. But I just think though, as a as like I say two minutes ago, we are becoming more aware of differences in people like it does make me smile sometimes when I I hear people using OCD quite liberally oh I've got obsessive compulsive disorder and there's there's no stigma attached to it it's almost like this is me and it makes me smile because furtively people are actually talking about neurodiversity in a far more open plan way than they used to because you know 20 years ago you would not hear people using that term and, and, and having any association with it at all because it had been seen as some kind of stigma. So if people, aware or not, they're actually talking about themselves in a neurodiversity spectrum, even if they are not aware about it. Yeah, and I think,
0: I think OCDs is almost, and it's probably one of those terms overused that anyone who just lines up their pencils is definitely OCD. But it is almost, it's almost like a caring term. Finton, he's got OCD. It's, it's not a derogatory. It's not, it's no. actually, it's it's not you. I'm, I never use, oh God, Finton, OCD. It's, mm. it's always yeah. generally given in a nice way.
1: Yeah, it's generally seen, as, as you say, as a, as a, as, a, as not a negative, as a positive. I mean, I think if you, you know, I suppose if you take that to its extreme and, you know, you, you're never allowed to move the, the furniture from where they are in the house and the bath, you know, you have to have, you know, change. Well, these days we're having to change everything that I suppose is we use for cleaning automatically. So that's not necessarily that's more of a government directive. But I think, like all these things, you know, you know, we are understanding that certain people have certain traits that make them different from what is what is the norm. And I think we uh, also there's a little bit of a a slight degree of what's the word, intellectual capacity, even using the term OCD. It's sort of like a, I understand differences in people. So that's not a bad thing either that people start seeing it in a positive way, as you said, you know, yeah. and not a negative way.
0: I think if you think of, I'm just going to use organized tools. Yeah. So if you go into someone's garage and they've all literally got a space for every tool and they can yeah. literally say, someone's got my size 13 spanner. Yeah, They're a little bit OCD. But mm. if you think back in the past, my grandfather used to make furniture yeah the fact he was so Mm. almost OCD about his how to do things that's what made him good at his job
1: yeah exactly and we've been talking about people like this for years and as I said describing them in different ways and maybe using different ways to describe them too (laughs) but you know I mean and we've all got traits I I I often do a, a, a competition with people and say right what are you holding on to that really should have gone to the charity shop and to the dump. Are you holding on to money of currencies that no longer exist? Are you holding on to keys from houses that you previously owned? Are you holding on to wires or television sets, which you had 20 years ago? Why are you holding on to them? Why are you hoarding them? And people recognize the fact that, you know, for some reason, they don't know why. So other people don't. Some people don't. So we all have these traits and tendencies, yeah.
0: All differences.
1: And I think I think I think what it is is when
0: you in that as you said, in that school you've got to conform. In that age, you come under education. So the money's from education. But once you sort of leave that world is you are in the freedom. You you've got a world that you can choose how you access it. You can there's a lot more choices. There's there's lots of companies who are now going for neurodiverse people. Correct. Because they're seeing the benefits differences. So there might be the flat that they find that the uh three people they had in ter- are very trustworthy. Lots of different things. Um so in that world that's really great because the doors aren't closing, they're opening. And I think you're also under you're under medical then rather than education. So it's kind of a different rule set again.
1: It's very different rule set. And I think, you know, there's I mean, we talked briefly, not to say that everyone with A S D are all going to be great on computers or anything else. It doesn't mean that. But we do know that, you know, we know certain organizations such as, uh, you know, the Apples and, and the Googles of this world almost recruit actively for people who have aspergic type traits because they see them as being, you know, heavily weighted towards that style that they are looking for in those things. It's almost like a, well, I'd say it's a bit of a positive discrimination in one sense. And we also know that, you know, that certain dyslexia particular, uh, we know, we talk about the people who... Are famous, obviously, There's a lot of other people who maybe haven't haven't uh, benefited and have been suffering from that. We also know in the criminal justice system, yeah. a lot of people who from school have really difficulties. So there's a lot of people who who checked out of education early on for not being recognised. And uh, but it's also but it is important to talk about the positives. And um, in ADHD, for example, there's a lot of examples of people again who have been very entrepreneurial. Very creative, very artistic, and there's many examples of that taking place. More often in ADHD in the US, because over there the term's been more established for a while. Over here, it's less so. But someone, for example, for whom I um, I know pretty well, who's a big advocate for ADHD, is Rory Bremner, the comedian who has all this you know talent in terms of in, impersonations and stuff. Yeah. And he has ADHD and he credits his skills to that sort of style of learning. He was always the class clown. How many times have we talked about individuals at school who are the class clown? But he, he obviously had support in order to get to, to the point where he was able to benefit from his, and, and we were to benefit to a certain extent, from his talent.
0: Yeah, I think that, that support is a, is, a big, is a good word because I think long time ago, pre-internet, pre-mobiles, is getting support. Was hard to find, hard to access. Now you can create a Facebook group for your local area. There's uh, YouTube videos. There's you can find inspiration. So there's a lot more support out there, which I think is really good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of parent support groups for all for all of these terms we've been talking about today, because I think, as you say, you 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 get a better understanding of how not just your child but you know that you're not in the same boat other people are going through the same sort of things and people will tell stories and they will know of other schools which are more proactive in certain things and 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 a bit more kind of open-minded maybe in different learning styles so I think having having you know the internet people say is is a negative you know but it's, it's it's how how it's used you know and there is actually no um, research out there, by the way, when people say that, you know, computers, for example, are, are increasing lack of attention skills. We all think it's the case, but there's a lot of misinformation about there. Like, So, for example, a, a bit of a story that I have is, is that, you know, like one of the games I never allowed my children to have growing up was Grand Theft Auto. Because I don't like the sound of the game. I know a little bit what it does. So I was asking um, and I get asked a lot of questions about how computers are affecting the minds and things like that. And I'm not really aware of research. I, I haven't seen anything definitive to say has it hasn't. But I can tell you a story. So I was asking a policeman friend of mine, I said, Well, look, look, you know, these games, they must be dangerous. They must be affecting the behavior of some of the people and and, and you know, let's take car crimes. Isn't that a game about about cars and stuff, and I said, "So I said, well, what, what's car crimes? How are they in your area?" He says, "Well, we're all down this year." I said, "What about other areas around you?" "Yeah, we're all down this year." I said, "Why?" He says, "Don't know." He says, "Over the home playing it," you know. So my point is, for every opinion you have on you know a behavioural issue, the point I'm trying to get across is that someone else will have a counter a counter argument for it. I think what we can do is we can just try and be a bit open minded about some of the things that are available to us and try and massage them through and and find the things that that fit for you and your family and your situation because it's a very emotive subject and we're all we're all searching and and, and looking at ways of of improving the life chances for children and young people
0: so i've 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 been a gamer all my life played games at different times and stages started off with chucky e. egg mm. various games like that and not Grand Theft Auto, but I would prefer my children to spend an entire day playing games on a games console or a PC than watching TV. Because I find a TV is you can just drain out, zone out. It's not really that you're just watching something else. Whereas with a game, depending on the game, obviously there's an element of improvement there's an element of skill and developing that skill. There might be resource managing. They might be doing some math, going. I've got seventy thousand credits. I need to get to a hundred thousand. I need to get another thirty thousand. That's going to take me the next four hours. It's like, how have you done all that math mm. in your head? Very so. There's a lot of stuff going on. It's so, but it's always within moderation. You always need your exercise. You need social yeah. interaction. You need lots of other things. But overall, I'm a big fan of computer games in various ways. And I think Fortnite, as odd as it is, mm. I think. That allowed my children to play with their friends for the last few months. Mm. Some children were always on there, regardless of time of day. Others were on there for a couple of hours a day. But for me, it was great because I could listen, I could hear my children laughing and they were playing with their friends.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you know, this will divide opinion, as you know, Dale. Yeah. And I think people will be very divided. You know, I'm a bit, ambiv- what I do know about computers are they hold attention. People say that, you know, ho- in my area is attention deficit, but I, I also know a computer can hold attention, whereas sometimes I think it's because they are stimulating, they are fun, you know, you can move from levels to levels. You And, you know, they, they're impersonal, they don't have favorites, you know. So there's a there's a benefit to them, and I think we're working in going into a world which is going to be measured, and we're going to be studying, we're going to be working with this medium. I think, you know, th- there is a sort of tendency, as you said, for us there's a balance though and there's a balance between you know a sedentary sort of way of working and a and a and a, and a, and a more mobile way of working and i think you know i think but it, it's down to us the parents the teachers to be in charge of the remote control so to speak so i think having a balance on that i mean it's interesting that you say this but you might not be aware there's a brand new resource that's just been produced by the uh the federal drug agency in the U S um, which is the agency that is uh, there for modification. We have nice over here. They have the FDA and they just developed a prescriptive computer game for, for children with ADHD. So I just wrote a paper recently saying, uh, get back on that video game for parents who, and it's because this, they've, this has just come out. It's just, um, just, just been given their license to do that in the U S now it's not available in the uk yet but this is a video game which is being um, offered as a as a as a not a substitute but as an alternative towards uh, medication treatment for supporting children and, and and people with adhd traits so you know for that argument that computers you know don't hold attention there's also an argument to say that they improve attention
0: they, improve, they also remove a lot of barriers so if you if you I gave Aaron Smith pen and paper and asked him to write me a review of his holiday. He won't enjoy that experience. I'm not saying how well he'll do, I'm just saying he will find that. Give him a phone with a dictaphone where he can just hit the microphone and say that that'll be done quickly. Mm-hmm. And tech can really reduce those, remove those barriers. So tech has lots of different things around it, but you don't want to get lost in the world of tech.
1: No, and I think this is this is what we're all concerned about: is someone being almost obsessed by that one medium and not, you know, enjoying the 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 other things. But whenever anything comes along that is new, there is always skepticism. I mean, you know, once upon a time the. Uh you know, the, what was it? The uh, the fountain pen was was going to destroy the art of writing. You know, no one when calculus came in, mean, no one would ever be able to learn their times tables again. So when anything new comes in, there's always there's always scepticism about it. As I say, I think the the issue is is having a balance. And if we take the the word computer, which we've been talking about quite a lot, one of the, my most favourite things I heard it was a teacher that said this, not me. I wish it had been me. She said that this child, who was a 9, 10-year-old, but he was basically, his writing skills were being judged as a 6-year-old, and he was unhappy with his maths, and he was feeling his sister was was doing more than him. She, but he, But he could speak it, and he could demonstrate it, but he couldn't write it. And she said, he's like a computer without the printer attached. He's got all the knowledge in his head, but he can't express to me in a way that I can judge it i can't mark it i can't assess it i can't put it anywhere that someone would judge it even though he knows it and she said my job she said is to try and attach the printer to the to the computer so i can get the hard copy and I thought it was a wonderful analogy to say, so what we should be looking is, we should, we should be open-minded to all the resources that are available. Like I was a bit skeptical about this thing that came out from the FDA, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna diss it because I don't know enough about it. And if it open minds it, at the same time, I will say that attention deficit, which is an area I know quite well, as I said, they haven't got attention skills. Well. You put them in a classroom, you will see they haven't got attention skills. When it's the third or fourth hour that day, when, they, when they're bored, in front of a screen, you, you get you get a product. Also, but if they're outside or in a science lab and they're actually making and doing stuff, you also get you also get the you get the printer attached. So there are other ways of doing it too. Yeah. So I think it's about having a balance, but it's not saying no to anything. It's being open minded about everything, and then. You know, and then moving, you know, moving the pieces, if you like, and, and the amount of time you spend on things towards individuals.
0: Definitely. I'm a, I'm reading a book at the moment called Teachers Versus Tech, mm-hmm. which is quite interesting. It's like the uh, traditional classroom-based and the Google saying you don't need to learn facts because you can Google everything. So it's too very... The thing I don't like about it at the moment, I'm only partway through it, is the way of judging it is PISA scores.
1: Yeah. What, 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 what is your view then about that very point about not having to learn like your tables or, or, or the, I'm the in, in order to Google it? it's in the middle mm, because mm. my
0: mum will say, You don't know how to use a log rule. It's like mm, she'll mm. get a book out, and I'm going, don't care, I can Google it. Yeah. Mm. But then one of the and it was a good it was a good thing. I was all on the page side of Google this book and I got to this page and it's like, you need to know some context of what you're reading. Mm, and mm, um, mm. and uh, they did this test where they got the kids to research the answers. And, mm. and the kids were able to research, get the answer, and then get where that answer came from. So they're actually, you know, checking. Mm. And they came up with this answer, which came from the University of Haggis. Mm. <laughs> and as an adult, you literally go, yeah, you've been had. But the mm. child didn't have that context to yeah. know that the University of yeah. Haggis was made up. So they read it. So, certain mm. things, and it's like in America, you've got the game Jeopardy! Yeah, yeah, and IBM supercomputer Watson played it mm. and they had to delay it, but it, it did really, really well. Problem is, it, co- it comes back to his context, mm. so mm. it would do things in not in the best way. So, I think you need a certain level of information, you do, so mm. you can qualify. Mm. So, when you say, when's, when's it open? and I say 9 p.m., mm. or if I say 9, mm. if I'm talking about a shop, I immediately mean 9 a.m. if it's a club, it's 9 p.m. Yeah. So it's having yeah. that context which comes from your facts. Yeah. But I think after that, there's so, so much I've learned this year alone mm. through Google, through mm. YouTube, mm. and it will disappear out my head. Mm. But I've got the ability to learn. And that's, I think that's the thing, is, is there's the knowledge and there's the skills, mm. but being able to learn is another set of skills.
1: Absolutely. And I think the word that I suppose I was talking about the other day with some families, I do some, you know, consultation with some families. I was talking about a word we used to use, which is called study skills. We don't use that word anymore, study skills. It's it's not what to learn, it's how to learn it. And I think, you know, that's that is a crucial area. And a lot of schools don't actually spend time on that. They teach them what to learn, but how to learn it would be a very valuable resource. And if that does mean not just using a dictionary, but using Google efficiently, that to me would would be a very good skill. And let's face it, you know, when people say, oh, the good old days, were they really I'm just, while you were talking there, I was thinking of going to the back of a maths book and looking at the cosine tables and the, the sine tables. And you might remember that maybe you're old enough, Dale. And, you know, and, and I'm not talking about using an abacus because I, I, even I'm not old enough to be in that phase. But, you know, the the time spent on that and even things like some of the homework we used to get, which was you know, and if you finish twenty questions, then what you do, you got twenty more. <laughs> and and, and they weren't and it wasn't it was just reinforcement of what you'd already done. And I think, you know, things are different now. You know, people will say, Oh, you know, they're not as good as they used to be. But I I'm not sure about that. I um I uh I think things are are different. I've there's a colleague of mine called Sue Palmer and she's um She's got a theory that one of the reasons that reading amongst children, particularly, has diminished is she's got a big thing about how uh, prams and how all the children now, when they're being brought up, are are facing the wrong way. They're not looking us the faces. They're all, they're all, um, they're all basically looking outwards. So we were told, well, you know, they want to enjoy the experience of the, the thing that. And so, you know, and I was thinking, oh, well, we had twins. We had three under two at one point, and we have a daughter and we had twins the year later. So, um, And so when I took them out in the double buggy, which, by the way, is hard to manoeuvre through most shops, just making that point, you need to make your corridors wider. Anyway, I had the twins looking outward at the thing, and I was thinking, oh, maybe that's why, I've you know, I've, I've diminished their, maybe I've held them up and that's why they're struggling in school. But if I'm really honest... If it was a sunny day and I was able to get them outside, you know, the last thing I wanted to do was see their faces. You know, the fact is, you know, the fact that they might not be able to read at the level of the compatriots, but they are alive. You know what I mean? So I think you do things set on the time. And then the other day, I saw a woman in the park and she was in a pram. She was in a pram and she had a baby in the pram looking at her. What was the baby looking at? The woman who was wheeling her was on her mobile phone. So all I'm going to say is that, you know, you know, we will all have different opinions about what we perceive is, is the right way of doing it. And, but the technology is here. It's not going away. We need to embrace it and not be afraid of it. Definitely. Definitely. And
0: hopefully all of these people who are listening to this podcast are embracing it. <laughs> We've covered a lot. We've gone through a, a spectrum of uh, content here today. Yeah, so we've talked about employment, we've talked about home life, we've talked about we've covered a huge range, and it is yes, we've talked about the the exclusions, we've talked about crime and courts and all that lot, and there is that negative, but I think overall each year we are getting more positive, and it's turning from is that a disability that will lead you or to a difference, and I think I think going forward, I think there are positives, and hopefully the f- the world is getting more inclusive
1: i i honestly think so like i say i think people are far more aware terms that we didn't we didn't use when i was growing up are, are used far more liberally now like i say there's a a much if you look at the the film industry you look at how media is 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 dealing with it there's a lot of characters now who have you know, um, you know, Martin Clumes in, in the Doctor Show has some of these O C D traits. There's a lot there's a whole range of characters on film and screen who are now displaying these traits and people are understanding it more. It's being used in more, you know, in more regular culture. So I think, you know, we are becoming more aware. But as I say, the real benefit to me, this term, whatever term you use, is that for me, I think the the other students are understanding their peers in a more progressive and less judgmental way by using this term neurodiversity. Definitely. So I've got a couple of links from Finton. One is The Global Achievement Gap. Yeah, it's an excellent book showing you why we need people who think differently. And the other one I've
0: got here is Dan Pink Drive.
1: Yeah, it's a it's a it's a um, it's a TED talk on on the issues of what motivates us, and I think you might be surprised at what truly are the th- the three things that generally motivate us.
0: Interesting. I'll
1: check that one out as well.
0: So thank you for coming on the show today, Fintum. Pleasure. We'll be putting those items I just mentioned in the show notes and also sharing Fintum's contact details. And you can access the show notes on our website and where you usually access your podcasts. So thank you for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe by going to our website, www.thesencast.com, where you can also sign up to the newsletter to keep up to date. You can also follow us on all the different social media platforms. So on Twitter, we are at The Sencast, on Facebook, The Sencast, on Instagram, The Sencast, and on LinkedIn, just search for The Sencast. If you want to get in touch, let us know your thoughts, suggest topics or anything else, please send an email to hello at the sendcast.com. And as I always say, because it is great, if you have enjoyed the Sendcast, please look into the virtual Send Conference. It's a conference that like the Sendcast is run by us here at B Squared and it covers all aspects of SEND. So we don't actually talk about our products. It's It's literally looking at where people need support and what areas. And we've just created conferences around that. And what makes the our conferences different is you access it across the internet. The, we run the conference twice a year in March and November. Each conference has 12 sessions, which are really useful, designed something that you can take away and implement. The videos are always available. So the um, you can buy the tickets for the conference we run in March and start watching those sessions immediately. So the cost for each conference is £60, and this covers the entire school, not per person. As a listener to the Sendcast, we are offering a 10% discount just by using the code SENDCAST10. If you're a parent, we also have Parent Talks, which we launched early this year, which takes the same approach but is aimed at parents. And the Parent Talks is just £10 a conference for those 12 highly valuable online talks for you to
1: watch whenever it suits you. So thank
0: you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the SENDCAST. It's goodbye from
1: him. And it's goodbye from me.